We have a special guest joining us on Let Me Be Frank today. He is Steve Bowman, founder of Perdisus Day, which runs fantastic marriage and family programs like The Choice Wine, That Man Is You, and Missionaries to Family. So stay tuned to hear this conversation between Bishop Frank Caggiano and Steve Bowman. It is coming up next, so keep your radio right here at 1350 AM, or keep it locked in on your phone on the Veritas mobile app. If you don't yet have the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, you can get it at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, you can visit foundationsinfaith.org. All right, here we go. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, my friend, it's good to talk with you now that we have officially begun fall, right? Now that Labor Day has come and gone. It's crazy how fast the year is going. Uh, oh, yeah, my gosh. But it's exciting. We have a new pastoral year to look forward to. Please, God, things will be going in the right direction. Right? With the pandemic, we could yes. start resuming most of our normal activities. Today, we have a, a very special guest, right? Yes, I'm uh, so excited. Another Steve. Great name. <laughs> it's, my, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Steve Bowman. And uh, following a successful career as an energy derivatives trader in Houston, Texas, Steve answered God's call to found a ministry dedicated to finding God within the context of marriage and family life. So, in 2001, he founded Paradisus Day left his job as a trader, and dedicated himself full-time to this excellent work. And now, you can find Paradisus Day working in many parts of the country. You can find Steve's writings in places like the National Catholic Register, Inside the Vatican, and The Catholic Answer. And Steve, welcome to Let Me Be Frank. <laughs> Thanks so much, Steve. And, uh, and thank you, uh, Bishop Caggiano, for inviting me on your program today. Oh, I'm delighted you're part of the program. Um, for our listeners' information, uh, Steve Bowman and I have known each other for a while. Uh, at one time, I served on his Episcopal board. And um, Father Peter Towsley, who's a priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, has been working for the last year with Steve and his staff at Paradisus Dei. And he's done a tremendous job of being really chaplain of, the, of uh, much of the activities. And Steve, you're coming to Bridgeport, and you're bringing the ministry to Bridgeport, so I'm very excited, right? And, and I think for the benefit of everyone who's listening, I'm going to ask you um, to describe your journey of faith that brought you to this moment where you're providing such tremendous pastoral guidance and assistance to families, couples, uh, men's ministry. Tell us your journey of, of life. How did you get here? You know, uh, and... As you well know, Bishop, uh, God's ways are not our ways, and He always surprises. God is a God of surprises. And uh, it's, uh, I never would have ever dreamed, first, on doing ministry, and secondly, to do family ministry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I grew up uh, in Oklahoma uh, in, a, in a family that was definitely Catholic, 
and we never miss church on Sunday, but we were pretty secular Catholic, meaning we went to church on Sundays, what we did. And I never had any thoughts ever about doing anything in the church. Uh, I wanted to either go out and play sports or I wanted to go, you know, make a fortune, but it was never in my mind to serve God. And then uh, likewise, uh, my family life growing up, my mom and dad had a difficult marriage. Uh, and uh, they stayed together until I was one of four boys in the family. And I was three out of four. And when my youngest brother uh, left the house, then my mom and dad got divorced. And so uh, God's ways are not our ways. I, I grew up, again, not particularly devout, for sure. And then in a family that wasn't a very cohesive family. And, uh, and I was living my life as a kind of following that same path. Meaning I never didn't go to church, so I've never been outside of the church. I've always embraced the faith, but I didn't necessarily uh, practice the faith in the sense of from a moral perspective in the way I should, other than I knew I was supposed to go to church on Sunday, and I always did that. And I went to the University of Oklahoma for my undergraduate uh, in engineering, and then uh, worked for a year at General Dynamics on the F-16, doing research on the F-16. And then I decided I didn't really like engineering so much and went back and got uh, an MBA at Notre Dame. And truly oh, there was wow. a calling already in that, that when I went to Notre Dame, I specifically went there first Catholicism. Uh, meaning, as, uh, as a boy growing up in Oklahoma, when I grew up in the 70s, literally only 2% of the population was Catholic. And so I never had a uh, Catholic education. My mom considered at that point in time, at least in Oklahoma, that the Catholic um, you know, school system was inferior to the public school system. So although she had had um, Catholic education, matter of fact, she went to, to school with uh, Blessed Stanley Rother, was one of her classmates. He was, I think, a year older than her. Um, wow. But she grew up in Oklahoma, a little bitty small farm community, northwest of Oklahoma City, and uh, the Rothers were just friends. And so we, and you go to the small cemetery that's there and have a river section there. So they were one of the big families in town. She grew up with me, wrote as a classmate. So, uh, and we should just mention that because, you know, when it happened, my mom has passed away since then. Uh, she had Alzheimer's and passed away uh, two years ago. But it's interesting because, of course, the first thing you do is once he starts on that pathway to sainthood, mm -hmm. Mom, what was it like going to school with a saint? And she probably said the same thing everybody else says. Yeah, I had no clue this guy was. First, we never knew he was going to be a priest. He just was a normal guy. And he was normal. He wasn't bad. But he wasn't like, oh, here's a walking you know, saint to be. Um, and then it's, he followed his calling. And then he responded to the grace God gave him for the situation. Right. Um, may I just interrupt? Steve, may I just interrupt for a moment? Steve, may I Please just interrupt do. for a moment? Just to make an observation, it's quite refreshing that sanctity could look normal. Yeah. Because many times we think of saints as people who throw themselves into rose bushes or or do these extraordinary events. But it's it's a, there's a profound lesson right there that you've taught us that sanctity is meant to look normal, right? And that gives me that gives me encouragement. Gives at least personally encouragement. Anyway, please, I didn't mean to interrupt you. 
Yeah, no, no, and Bishop did it so perfect because truly the first thing my mom would say is, hey, this was just a normal farming family out of Oklahoma. The mm-hmm. whole family. She wouldn't have said the family was this bastion of sanctity that manufactured saints. She was like, hey, this was one of the farming families in Okarchi. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were devout in the sense that they always went to church. And back then, the whole community did, right? I mean, the, Okarchi, Oklahoma was a bunch of uh, German immigrants that uh, came over to Oklahoma for free land in the ran- land run in Oklahoma in 1901. And they, or excuse me, it was 1889 was the land run. And they uh, all came for free land. And the, the little community was uh, all German, and it was half Lutheran and half Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the Catholic side, and I didn't even know that there was a Lutheran church in town. And mind you, this community had probably three or 400 people back then. But when you went to Mass on Sunday, it was a little bit, it's a beautiful church there, Holy Trinity Parish. Uh, which ended up where I was baptized. I was baptized on the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes in Holy Trinity Parish. And mm-hmm. it's just a gorgeous little church, but it would be full. And so back then, you know, that is everybody knew on Sunday we all go to Mass, and that was just part of life back then. But mm-hmm. she would have said within that context, the Rothers were just another family in Okarchi, Oklahoma. Wow. Um, wow. So, and, and that is going to be important. And, and Bishop, thank you for pointing it out because I never thought about how important that is for our ministry that we started. Um, but anyway, just real quickly, and then we'll be able to get on. So I, when I went to Notre Dame, actually, I'm probably one of the few people who didn't go there because of the football program. Um, <laughs> I wanted to go there because it was a good school. But then it was truly because I was like, I've never had any Catholic education in my life. And I want to know what it feels like to go to a Catholic school. And I went to Notre Dame. And while I was there, I certainly did enjoy the football while I was there, although we had two five and six years back-to-back. Uh, the last Jerry Faust year and the first Lou Holtz year. Uh, so I didn't get any of the glory in that. But while I was there, you know, the MBAs back in those days, uh, and it's still true, they always had Friday off. They went Monday through Thursday for classes. They had Friday off. And every Friday I had a routine where I would get up, and after I would have breakfast and do my part of the chores because I lived off campus with a you know, roommate uh, in an apartment off campus, uh, I would go and I had a little routine where I would go visit the main building, the Golden Dome. Then I would just go sit in the church there and just by myself in the back of the church for you know, a while. Not hours, but certainly probably 30 minutes or more. I had no, I'd never heard of Eucharistic adoration or anything like that, but I would just go sit in silence in that beautiful church. And then after that, I would go down to the grotto. And I would just spend time at that grotto. And at that time, I really didn't know anything about Our Lady of Lourdes. All I knew that this was a special prayer place. And Our Lady, and then of course, I'd always light a candle. And, uh, and, and interesting enough back then, and I wasn't thinking consciously, it was all very practical, I'd always light a candle for my mom and dad's marriage. And so I was already focused on family in some sense. And this little routine I would do every Friday would probably last me a couple hours. And then after that, I would take off and I would go to lunch and meet, you know, all the buddies there for lunch and then get back into the typical things of studying classes and all those kind of things and uh, getting ready for football. And so God was planting seeds there and I didn't know it. Um, and ultimately those seeds would be the Eucharist and Our Lady and having time with Christ in the Eucharist um, and trusting in Our Lady. And then it was all going to relate to the family. I didn't know any of it, 
but uh, those seeds were really planted there in a special way. And then after I got out of Notre Dame, I came to Texas to get into the oil industry. And I had 15 years in the oil industry. Uh, the last portion of it was trading energy derivatives. And we use that as, as part of our That Man Is You program, where we talk about what a, the life was trading energy derivatives. And of course, you're in Connecticut, and I know so many people in Connecticut, of course, going to New York and working in the financial market, so you guys already know what it is. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's what it truly was. It was that life of fast-paced, make or lose, a lot of money real quick. And uh, while I was in that life, it truly dawned on me how empty it was. And that's when God again was planting seeds. And I felt this calling, first just to get closer to Christ, and specifically Christ's sacred heart in the Eucharist. And so I started going to daily Mass. And I really should mention Our Lady in the Rosary again. Um, I remember very specifically it was Advent one year. And I'd had a couple of previous attempts by God, let's say, to try and kind of get me in a, in a spiritual life that was truly a union with Christ as opposed to, uh, you know, I show up in church on Sunday because that's what I'm supposed to do, just a mm -hmm. mechanical kind of Catholicism. I truly had God calling me to get close to him. And so one year was Advent, and before Advent started, I thought, am I going to do anything for Advent this year? And I thought, you know, I've said the rosary a couple times during Lent. Maybe I should say the rosary. And I remember it was as clear as day. There was this little interior voice that said, well, why wait to Advent, which was just a day away? If you're going to do it, start tonight. And so I said, okay. <laughs> so I got out my rosary, and I started my rosary uh, at night. And then as Advent was happening, the priest, of course, started talking about there's going to be this Advent um, penance service. And I hadn't been to confession in years. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll go to confession, maybe I won't. I don't know. I'll see what's going on. I was a single person, uh, you know, living in an apartment kind of by myself, doing the yuppie, secular, energy derivatives kind of thing. And... Um, and the night before the penance service, I still hadn't decided if I was going to go to confession or not. And in the middle of that night, I woke up and all of my sins were going through my head. And as my life was then, I turned over and tried to go back to sleep. And when it didn't work, I tried to turn the other way and go back to sleep. And then finally I got up and in the middle of the night, I went downstairs and I got out a piece of paper, and I started writing all my sins down. And all of these sins, uh, I certainly could not have named the Ten Commandments at that point in my life, but nonetheless, I kind of categorized my sins according to those. And then the next day, the penance service came, and I went to um, the big communal part first, and then it's time to break into the part where you go to the priest for your individual confession. And I remember I was so nervous I hadn't been in confession in years, and obviously I had not been living my life according to what the morality of the church would be. And I thought, boy, there's no way I can say this confession out in the middle because, of course, there are priests spread all over the church. And I'm, there were two confessionals in the back of the church. And so as soon as the communal part was over, I made a beeline to one of the confessionals so I could do it <laughs> behind closed doors. And uh, 
Bishop, I'm sure you're not the only one who does that, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) So so I made a beeline, and my heart's pounding, of course, because I'm like, oh man, I can't believe I'm going to say all this stuff. Because I mean, it was it was truly trying to be an honest confession as best as I could do at that point in time. And I made a beeline, and I was so disappointed I got there second in line instead of first in line. And I was disappointed because my heart's pounding. I'm wanting to get this thing over with. And but it was really a blessing. Because while the person in front of me was in the confessional, I got to ask myself the question, are you going to be honest, Steve, in this confessional, or are you going to beat around the bush? And I decided, no, I'm going to be honest. Instead of going and starting off with, bless me, Father, for I've sinned, it's been a little while since I've been to confession. I was like, it's been however many years it had been since my confession. And then so uh, I said, no, no, I'm just going to be honest. This is my life and the life I've lived. And so I went in, and uh, it was my turn. I went in, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been however many years since my last confession. And I never looked up. I went, when I say face-to-face, we're in the confessional, but I didn't go behind the screen. But I never looked up. I was looking down at my paper the whole time. And I just read straight through all my list of sins. And as I read through my list of sins, when I got to the end, there was just, let's say, this pregnant pause. And... And I don't want to make myself worse than I was. I wasn't a mafia enforcer or any of those kind of things, but it was a guy who's living a secular life, trading energy derivatives and all of that. And the priest, and he was a beautiful Monsignor Joe Crossway, who has since passed away. And, you know, God just works um, through priests, and God works through holy priests who have been around long enough to truly understand how God works in souls. And Father Joe had the uh, wisdom to just sit there for a minute until I looked up. (laughs) And finally, with this pregnant pause was long enough, I looked up at Father Joe. I didn't know who he was at the time. And and he looked at me and he said, Son, may I see your paper? And literally the thing that went through my mind is, Oh, my land, he didn't hear them all and he wants to check it out. (laughs) And so I handed him this piece of paper and I waited and then he looked me straight down and he said, son, why did you come here tonight? And the thing that flashed through my brain is he's not going to forgive me because I don't have the right intention. That somehow or another, I'm not the right place. He's not going to forgive me because, of course, like most people, I thought all these sins were unforgivable. And uh, I remember just tears started flowing down my eyes and I said, you know, I guess I just want to get right with God. And he started tearing that paper up in front of my eyes. And he said, then I want Mm -hmm. you to know your home. Mm -hmm. And he said, for your penance, I want you to go out and spend one dollar on yourself and rejoice because you were lost and you have been found. And in your father's house, there is great rejoicing. Mm -hmm. And I walked out of that confessional like I've never walked out of any place in my life. And I went to... Uh, um, the mall. I'd never experienced Easter or, or Advent joy before, but I was crying and I was whatever else. And I went to the mall, and for the first time in my life, I bought Christmas cards. I'd never sent out a Christmas card in my life. Um, and of course, when you're young, your parents do it, and when you, especially when you're a man, I wasn't married, so I didn't have a wife to do it, and so I'd never sent a Christmas card in my entire life. And I went and I bought a package of Christmas cards to send out to my friends. And 
that was truly the beginning of the journey for Ernest. And then during the Great Jubilee, God would finally say, okay, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to quit trading energy derivatives, and I'd like you to found a ministry for marriage and family life that simply helps people find God present in their midst, which is the mystery of the Holy Family, that I'm with them and help them understand that they can find me in a very simple way like Stanley Rother, that it's not this external holiness, throw yourself in you know, rose bushes. It's just that I'm present in their midst. And also to always bring mercy. Whatever's happened in the life, just know that I'm there. Uh, and I'm always willing to forgive them. I'm always willing to let them back. And so that was the, the real genesis of, and the important thing, that confession. And so I can't tell you how important it is um, that Christ is present in all of the sacraments. Of course, first and foremost, the Eucharist, but in the confessional. And he's there truly as a merciful God um, there. And so um, just encounter Christ as he comes to us and then in our homes. So, Steve, that, thank you for sharing that story. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful journey of faith. And, I, and it's, it's quite encouraging. And to me, it's quite inspiring, too. I, and, and God puts you now um, at, as the founder and the animator of Paradisus Dei. So for the sake of our listeners, before we have our break, why don't you give us like the three-minute summary of what Paradisus Day offers, like what did it, and then when we come back from the break, you could talk a bit more about each of the components. What's the what's the menu, if I may, of ministries sure. and, and that the the, the uh, that you offer? Yep. And so, first of all, Paradisus Day is Latin for the Paradise of God, and that's uh, intended to be what the family's called to be. The family's called to be the place where God dwells in a special way. And the whole simple, simple basis of Paradisus Day is to find God present in your midst. That he's in your home, marriage is a sacrament. And a sacrament is a place where you encounter God and all we have to do is pull back the veil to that reality. So what Paradisus Day does is it simply tries to help, you know, husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, uh, you know, children, find God in the midst of their normal, everyday, family, uh, life, their marriages, and then to experience his love, peace, and joy. To let God transform the, the family because he's present. And when we get in union with that presence, it's God that transforms the family and brings us his love, peace, and joy. Right. So that's the you know, simple end. For the, for the sake of our listeners, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you gave what I thought was just a tremendous presentation to a number of the pastors of Bridgeport outlining the challenges that families are facing in the modern world, which we all know of, right? But some of the points you made in that presentation for me were even quite startling. Um, not to give the whole presentation, we wouldn't have the time to do that, but to, to kind of give the larger context or framework for how families, even in the church, are under such duress, right? and are being challenged so much. Can you give our listeners a sense of some of those challenges, maybe at 50,000 feet? What, what do you see as the, the really alarming statistics that you would want us all to know about? The first two statistics, Bishop, um, that I would mention are the two that truly give the biggest 50,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. that for the first time in our country's history, marriage is a minority structure, household structure in the United States that less than 50% of all households in the United States include a married man and woman. 
And the second thing that's closely aligned with that, for the first time in our country's history, less than half of all children under the age of 18 grow up in a home that includes their biological father and mother. And what that does is it has profound implications throughout all of society, but also on the next generation, so that for the first time in our history, when they ask young people, what are your goals in life? At the very bottom of their goals in life are getting married and having children and then also the faith, and therefore they, they are now, sociologists are now projecting that up to one-third of the people who are currently in their 20s will never marry, that it's just not even on their radar screen of something that they want in life. And that's so tragic. If you were to take my faith and my family from me, I mm -hmm. would cease to exist as a person I am today. I can't imagine a life without my faith and my family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And therefore, there are the effects on the church are also profound going forward. And you had shared some of those as well, including baptisms and, and vocations and all the rest. You may want to speak a bit about that as well. You know, it's, Pope John Paul II, of course, frequently said, the future of the world and the church pass by way of the family. And that's not just poetic language. That is a fundamental spiritual truth. And so there's all sorts of statistics, uh, A, about how if you want to be happy, healthy, wealthy, any of those things in your personal life, that's all about marriage and family life. But then when it comes to the church, the model in the church is just like you see in the book of Genesis. God began the world with a couple. And then through that couple, all these blessings flow out onto the world. And so even for the church, the model is a man and a woman come together and they get married. Once they get married, they have children. They bring those children back to the church. The church baptizes those children. And then those kids start growing up. Some of them go, of course, into Catholic elementary school. They get first communion when they get to be about that age of reason, seven-ish or so. They grow up some more and they have confirmation. And then long enough, most of them, of course, turn around and go back and get married themselves. So you repeat the cycle. But then a portion of them in a religious life. The starting point in the Catholic Church is a couple getting married. We went through and showed some statistics how if you just then go back and correlate all of the health of the church based on these sacraments, all of them correlate back to mm -hmm. that couple getting married. Mm -hmm. In the United States, when you look at the marriage rate per capita for Catholics, meaning the number of Catholic marriages per 1,000 Catholics in the United States, that number has dropped 73% in the last decade, excuse me, the last generation. So Catholic marriages have now collapsed. Then when you turn around and you plot all these other statistics we just said about the church, meaning baptisms, there's a 80 plus percent correlation between the number of baptisms and the number of Catholic marriages. It's real simple, if you don't get married in the church, when you start having children, most of the time, right. you don't get them baptized in the church. Mm -hmm. Look at number of Catholic elementary school students. There was a 97% correlation if you lag that data, of course, because kids have to grow up to be five or six before they enter school. First communions, 97% correlation to um, the decrease in Catholic marriages. And then you go all the way out 25 years to religious vocations, to the number of priests in the Catholic Church. 98% of Catholic priests come from an intact family that goes to church on Sunday. The vocations crisis has its source in the marriage crisis. Right. 
Absolutely. And it truly that needs makes to be sense. a man and woman mm -hmm. who get married, who stay married, and go to church together. And that's the seedbed mm -hmm. of vocations. Right. Um, that makes perfect so, sense. Yep. So at the end of the day, all of these things, when we talk about the church, uh, what Shelley and what we say in Paradise is say, you know what? The church has Bishop Casianos of the world to deal with the internal function of the church. What I do to help the church is I try and have a good marriage for myself and my children. And then I now, through Paradise Today, try and help other good marriages and families. Right. And then I let you, I'm sorry, Bishop Casciano, you've got to worry about the real issues with all the people who yell at you about everything else. <laughs> well, listen, that's why it's a partnership, my friend. We're working all together. <laughs> that's the whole idea. Anyway, well, listen, we're going to leave our listeners not on a, on a note of, of challenge, because I think when Steve takes our break, when we come back, I think the initiatives that you offer, Steve, give tremendous hope of trying to turn the situation around. So you can talk about that when we come back. Yes. Yep. And okay. Because th those trends certainly are daunting, but um, good folks like you, Steve, and, and Bishop Caggiano, there is reason to hope, and Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. So you're listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We are very happy to have with us today Steve Bowman, founder and president of Paradisus Day a wonderful ministry to families. We will be right back and continue this conversation on the other side of the break. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We are very pleased to be joined today by Steve Bowman, founder and president of Paradisus Day. He is having a, an excellent and very important conversation with His Excellency. And so with that, uh, I'll turn it over to you, Excellency. Yeah, thank you, Steve. You know, Steve, in the, in the presentation again that um, you gave to the pastors and myself, there was a portion of it that I thought was absolutely fascinating. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it, it's seven steps, um, almost a recipe for sanctifying and strengthening marriages and family life. And I think our listeners will really benefit from listening to those seven steps. Would you, would you start by sharing those? It, certainly. And so, and here's the thing, and you mentioned it going into the break that's so perfect. It's, it's not just that um, we should identify problems. We have to also be able to bring forth solutions. And so the church certainly understands the difficulty in marriage and family life today. But there's a beautiful, simple solution that it's, it's you know, God always works in very simple ways with us, not complex ways. And therefore, because it's so simple, we miss it. And if you ask Steve Bowman, you know, how are you going to try and solve marriage and family life? I'd come up with this elaborate program and blah, 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 blah. And God's ways are real simple. It's like, well, just live the life that I lived in my family at Nazareth. And if you look at that, we looked at seven steps that characterize the Holy Family, first in its Jewishness, but then in its Christianity, that they're both a perfect Jewish family and the first Christian family. And the first thing is... Jewish families had to live in sexual purity, according to the Nidda laws. The next thing is they had to be generous. They had to share some of their bread with those who are in need, and of course bread was how they shared their money in an agrarian society. 
The next thing is they had to give their time to God. First and foremost in the home where they had to celebrate their Sabbath, but of course going to the temple for all the festivals. Then they had to understand that in the midst of that, that normal everyday life, God was present. And they had to set their minds on the things above so they could find God. And the angel Gabriel helped them understand how they were going to do that. And to Mary, the angel Gabriel said, you'll find God in yourself. Then to Joseph, the angel said, you'll find God in another person, meaning in Mary, because God's going to be incarnate in her. And then finally, they had to practice superabundant mercy because Joseph did not have Mary stoned when she was pregnant while they were betrothed and it wasn't his child. And so he said, if you take those seven steps, believe it or not, if you have sexual purity, if you use your money as a gift that you're supposed to be generous with, if you give some of your time to God, if you set your mind on the things above, if you find God in yourself, if you find God in other people, and then you practice mercy, you, you will live a life that resembles the life that Mary and Joseph and Jesus lived at Nazareth. And we take those seven steps, and to show this, one of the things that Paradisus stays very big on is faith and reason are two wings upon which the human spirit rises contemplation of God. So we put a lot of science with everything we do, and that science is primarily neurology, but we also do a lot of sociology. And within that context, we looked at five factors out of those seven steps to say, would this really make a difference? And so if you look at the United States, 40% of first marriages end in divorce, currently about 40%. And we took information out of the General Social Survey at the University of Chicago, uh, probably the largest public access database uh, for sociological data in the United States. And we started adding factors that relate to those seven steps. And we just took five factors. The first step was to sexual purity. We said, you know, according to Christian Catholic morality, that should look like you should have a purity before you get married. And once you get married, you should always be faithful to your spouse. And so what we used out of the data bank there at the General Social Survey was don't cohabitate before you get married. And once you get married, never cheat on your spouse. Those two things alone reduced the divorce rate to 12.5%. Wow. Then they didn't have anything that worked real well for the generosity with your money. So we looked at giving God some of your time. And the two things you should do, the basis for that should be you should go to church together on Sunday. And then every day you should pray to God. So we added those two things to the previous two things, and that cut the divorce rate down to 5.9%. Then the next thing was set your mind on the things above, and the General Social Survey didn't have anything for reading scripture and things that we would look at, but they had to get a college degree. And so we used that as a placeholder for set your mind on the things above, because faith and reason, both of them throughout, leads you to God. And for the people who did those five things. They didn't cohabitate before they got married. Once they got married, they didn't cheat on their spouse. Then once they, uh, then they prayed every day. They went to church every week and they got a college degree. There was not one person in the general social survey who did those five things and were divorced. And then furthermore, 100% of the people who were doing those five things were happily married. There was not one person who identified as being unhappily married. And in fact, 72%, so almost three out of four, were very happily married, the highest category. Now, the reality is, uh, well, first of all, what I should say is two things. I know it's not truly 100%, and one time, 
as I've traveled the country talking about this, I had a man come up to me and said, I did those five things and it didn't work for me. And I just said, I am so sorry. You did everything right and I am so sorry. So it's not truly 100%, but I would say I had a major sociologist call me on the data and I said, well, you go check it out and tell me what you think. And he called me back a couple weeks later and he said, man, you're right, these things are additive. He goes, we both know it's not truly 0%, but I can tell you this, it's less than 5%. Imagine what would happen if our country just embraced these simple things, because all five of them are simple. None of this is heroic virtue that you got to go, you know, give your life as a martyr, uh, like Stanley Rother, right? It's not that. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, say a prayer before you go to bed tonight. And that's not heroic virtue. And nonetheless, only 1.2% of Americans in the General Social Survey did those five things. And then furthermore, if you look at the next generation, it's more like one half of 1%. And so we've got really simple things we can do that if you do them, profoundly impact marriage and family life. And then once you impact that, you impact all the things in the church we were talking about before the break, all the things in society when it comes to be happy, healthy, wealthy, education, all these other things, all of these things get impacted. If we would just do some simple things within our marriages and family that would set us on the pathway to success. Mm -hmm. And that's what Paradisus Day is all about, is not only identifying the problem, but providing a solution that's within everyone's grasp. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Steve, as, you, as you, you summarize all of these and of course, the data is indisputable, and I think the, the conclusions are very clear. Um, for young people, young adults in particular, it demands even these simple steps to be countercultural, right? Because the larger culture tells them to cohabitate, tells them to be sexually active outside of marriage. So then, how do you strengthen, I'm going to say, the inner core? How do you strengthen these young people to resist what the what the rest of society and perhaps a lot of their friends are telling them oh go right ahead don't worry about it that's how you're happy when in fact all the data tells you it's the recipe not to be happy right so any thoughts about that how do you strengthen individuals not to fall into these traps well you bishop you've hit the nail on the head because it's the steps are simple but then embracing them in the current culture is not easy mm -hmm. and um, what we always tell people is a couple things. And first of all, like you said, there are so many influences saying what brings you happiness is, you know, again, move in, make your life all about my, the life I lived, right, as an energy derivatives trader, right? This is mm -hmm. what it says is going to make you happy. Go out there, make a boatload of money, let yourself be indulgent in all sorts of various ways. And so I understand that that's what the culture says, and I understand that I lived that life, and I understand that life never made me happy. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I would say is, and what we tell people is, if, if you've got that voice in your head all day, every day, it's going to be hard to turn away from that. The single greatest determinant we have found about the state of people's spiritual life is how much media they consume. And if you look at the media and you look at the images that are given to us in the media, the media believes what's going to make you happy is money and sex and you know power and all these other things and so that's what we see all day every day and the average person young person today consumes over eight hours of media a day hmm. if, if you put that voice in your head all day long it's going to be very hard for, i mean just the way the brain works 
from a neurological perspective, the images that we put into our brain, those images end up affecting our actions. And of course, and I'll give you, this is a simple example I always use. Okay, Steve Bowman's got a weakness for fajitas. I live in Texas and Houston. Tex-Mex <laughs> is fantastic. I love fajitas. If I'm watching TV and a commercial comes on for Papacito's fajitas, and those things are sizzling, and you see the steam coming off like it always and you does, can taste and you see somebody it, right. putting it in their mouth and eating it, my brain is literally doing all of that. My brain is, when I see that image, literally, if you were to take a CAT scan of my brain or MRI of my brain, you'd see that my reward system is lighting up. My olfactory nerves are lighting up that I'm actually smelling in my brain, those fajitas. I'm sitting here, and my brain is participating in eating those fajitas that I'm seeing on the television screen or my computer screen. And the next thing out of my mouth is, hey, Shelly, let's get fajitas tonight. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's exactly mm-hmm. what happens when we see all mm-hmm. these other images that say, okay, well, promiscuity is going to get you happiness. Money is going to get you happiness. If we put those images into our brain all day long, our reward system in our brain starts to be driven to going and doing that. And so the very right. first thing I'd say is you've got to get those other voices out of your head as much as you can so that when you consume media, consume good media. Listen to things that are going to reinforce what's going to bring true happiness. Mm-hmm. And then Don Bosco, good friendships. Another big voice in your head are all your friendships. And I'll be honest with you, after I made that confession and I had a look at my life, one of the things I had to do is say some of these friendships are going to never be friendships that are going to lead me to God. These are the guys I go out and do things with I shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll be honest, I had to end some of my friendships. And I didn't do it in an ugly way, but I just recognized that if my life truly now needs to change, these guys have no desire to find God. And you know, you talk to them about God and God's now active in your life. And it was, you could just see their eyes glaze over and kind of like they hoped this day would pass for Steve, right? Okay, well, Steve's kind of a little kooky here, but it'll pass and then he'll be hanging out with us again. And at some point I had to decide if I wanted to hang out with them or if I wanted to hang out with God. Mm. And so get the voices out of your head and then hanging out with God, you know, the, the only thing mm. I can say is the mm. Eucharist is the source and summit of our spiritual mm. life. Absolutely. Steve, All you of know those the... days that I sat in the back of the church at Notre Dame in silence, Jesus was talking in my heart. I didn't know it. Uh, but Jesus Christ, if there's only one thing I would ever say is he's in the Eucharist. Right. Right. Steve, there's an interesting point, if I may, just uh, the, this, yep. you just triggered something in my mind. Um, the excellent analysis you gave about the power of images profoundly explains why pornography is so addictive and, and, and such a detrimental effect for many people, but particularly young people, particularly young men, who have it when they expose themselves to it and become addicted to it. It does really a tremendous amount of harm to their to their psychological and spiritual development. So um, does Paradisus Day address that question too among men and young men in particular? Well, people in general, but I'm really concerned about young men in particular. Uh, Boy, Bishop, uh, obviously you're a pastor who listens to confessions. (laughs) Because, yes, everything you just said is exactly right. We do address that issue. We have a men's program, That Man Is You, and we always talk about that, and with men, and from a, let's just talk about it from a neurological perspective. 
which is where you go in those images in your brain. What happens is when a man or anybody, because it's becoming a woman's issue as well, when you consume pornography, your brain acts that out inside your brain. So it is truly a moment of a virtual sexual act in your brain. And because of that, all the same neurochemicals go off in your brain. And so what ends up happening, it is, for men who are married, a type of virtual infidelity. But mm. also what happens is, um, and this is what they're finding, especially when you're mentioning about young men, here's what's happening, is in the brain they're getting the reward of a sexual encounter. They get the dopamine release and the oxytocin and vasopressin and all those things go off in the brain uh, because of pornography. Uh, but what happens, is, so therefore it is addictive of its nature. And so pornography is addictive. And then the next thing is um, what they're seeing in young people are two things that relate to this. First of all, because pornography is available these days 24-7 right on your phone, right? Um, men are consuming more pornography than ever before. And when you overstimulate the brain's reward system, it builds a tolerance to dopamine. And so, um, believe it or not, they are seeing, and for the first time in history, erectile dysfunction in men in their 20s who are healthy men. These men don't have other health issues that would say, that's why something's going on. What's happened is the normal response that would happen the, when a man sees a beautiful woman without clothes, that's supposed to lead to him getting ready to have a sexual encounter, and that's what's supposed to happen when I see my wife. But with your wife, it's not 24-7. Well, believe it or not, the reward system has now become so deadened to this release of dopamine, it doesn't respond. Oh, so wow. on a very practical level, erectile dysfunction uh, happens, and then that leads to all sorts of other issues that continues on. And then the other thing they're seeing, and this is part of the issue with men, where we say a third of the men, or not men, but a third of young people in their 20s may never marry, is believe it or not, they're starting to see sociologists who are really working in this area, men who say, well, you know, pornography is good enough. Meaning, <laughs> when I've got a real person in front of me, well, that real person comes with needs. And mm -hmm. therefore, I've got to be good to my wife, and then with my wife, I've got to have all of my fantastic moments that she's my life's companion, that I would never trade my wife for anything, but it also means there's things we've got to work through occasionally. Mm -hmm. The illusion of pornography is this is now somebody who just satisfies your sexual need and it has no requirements on you whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's truly so an that, objectification, consumptive mentality. No right. requirements, just give me pleasure. So Steve, in a sense, it violates, I believe, the second rule, which is the generosity that you refer to the, of the seven rules. It, 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 if, if one does not live... Uh, in impurity of life, it can also very naturally lead to selfish life. Absolutely. Is that a fair? And w when I went to that confession, pornography was certainly one of the things I confessed, but the other thing was money. And here I was, I was an energy derivative trader, and I didn't have any money because I spent every penny I had and it was all on me, it was all consumption, so absolutely, it turns you uh, inward to a selfish mindset. And, I, and, I, and Bishop, you didn't pay for this. I just want to let everybody on the air know that Bishop didn't pay for this. The best thing I ever did in my life for money 
is I had no money whatsoever and I started giving money to the church. Within a year, I was totally out of debt and I was tithing 10% of my money to the church and I had no idea. When I gave my first $20 to the church, I had no idea where that $20 was going to come from. Mm-hmm. And all I know is by learning to be generous, and first and foremost, I wasn't married, so I didn't have to be generous to my wife or my kids or anything else. My generosity was to the church. And when I gave $20 to the church, I literally didn't know if that week I would have lunch money. And I'm an energy derivative trader, right? Uh, and by the end of that year, I was given 10% right off the top to the church, and all of my debt was taken care of. It reordered my life. Because when you're in a consumptive mode and a selfish mode, you always want something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When right. I got out of that yeah. mode, I found out, you know what? I actually make a good amount of money. There's no reason on earth that Steve Bowman should have been in debt, worrying about money. I, anyway, and so giving money to God is one of the best things you can ever do. And we talk about that in That Man Is You. We challenge the men to tithe through the church. That you think that you don't have the money for this, and what we tell them is you don't have the money not to do this. So, Steve, um, Steve explain to our listeners. All these things link together in the brain. Yeah. Would you please um, uh, just let uh, our listeners know, 30 seconds, this man is you. What what exactly are you referring to? Because they may not know what the program is. Sure, we have a program called That Man Is You. It's specifically designed for men and the challenges that men face. And I'll just tell you that the Gallup poll did a blind study to us and said it's the most life-transforming program that they've ever seen. So specifically for men, you can just Google thatmanisyou.org, uh, uh, but that .com, anything will get you there. Just spell it out, thatmanisyou, and it'll get you there. And we that runs in 46 states and seven foreign countries right now. It's tremendous. And what about the other program, What is Love? Give us a 30-second review. So we're starting a, a brand new program for young people. Uh, Bishop mentioned all specific challenges for young people. So hopefully next year we will launch a program called What is Love? It has some of the most amazing stories you've ever seen. It has the science behind why things work the way they work. Um, and then it's just going to form a beautiful community, back to what Bishop said, about people supporting each other to now be on the search for authentic love and happiness. And so uh, that will hopefully launch next year. And so please keep your eyes out for it. Once again, just spell it out. What is love? Uh, .com, .org, .net. Uh, and it'll get you to, uh, the website will go up probably in a couple months. Uh, but next year we will release that. And I would just say it's the most amazing uh, program I've been a part of uh, helping put together. Right. And lastly, since you're giving these overviews, um, the program that's coming to Bridgeport about missionaries to families. Would you give our listeners kind of a, a, an overview of what that program is? Certainly. You know, we um, saw the need for couples as couples. And we have a program called The Choice Wine that's available for that. But we also have encountered numerous people, uh, couples, uh, who want to go deeper. And for themselves, they want to go deeper uh, in their own families, but then they also truly do see the need to make a transformation in our culture. And so we teamed together with um, the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and under the directionship of uh, Dr. John Cavadini. And we teamed together to put together a one-year formation program that's a combination of um, intellectual formation by the Institute of Church Life there at Notre Dame, 
Um, and then a spiritual formation based on uh, Paradisus Day and the Seven Steps in the Holy Family. And it's a combination of retreats, so that there are three retreats in the course of a year, a launch retreat, one halfway through, and then a commissioning retreat. And then there's online uh, information, you know, training um, once a week uh, for the entire year. And that's specifically to help people take the deeper dive into the mystery of the Holy Family and how that gets manifest in the seven steps and then how we can help bring that to other families to truly start trying to change this culture of marriage and family life. But you know, if you go back to Genesis, there was no joy ever recorded until man saw his mate. The first expression of joy was when Adam mm -hmm. said, at last, this one's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should call a woman because she's taken out of man, therefore a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and they shall become two in one flesh. And within that context, you can be surrounded with everything else life has to offer, right? Adam was in paradise. But true joy comes through marriage and family life. And that's what we're just trying to help people get. And there's a simple pathway. The church has always had it. This is nothing new. It's just a way of understanding it, maybe because of science that we have today that we never had before, and then a way of bringing it to people we've never had before. So it's a deep dive into marriage and family life, John Paul II's, John Paul the Great in my mind, uh, and his teaching on marriage and family life is just phenomenal. Uh, and so it's a deep dive into that, and then helping people understand how they can help bring this message to other people. Now, Steve, listen, we have just a couple more minutes before we break a second time. So I'm going to ask you just a, um, a, a pastoral question. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of preparing many couples for marriage. Um, and you have worked in the lives of families now for, gosh, years. If you had a couple who was preparing to marry, and you had an opportunity to have a cup of coffee with them, of everything you have said, now this is a tough question, of everything you have said and shared, if you had to give them one, one bit of advice above all others, um, for their, as they begin their married life, what would you say to them? Okay, Bishop, boy, you put me on the spot, but I'm going to be honest, right? And yep. I've also done some marriage prep. Mm -hmm. um, the hardest thing to say, but it's the number one thing I say, mm -hmm. don't practice contraception. Mm -hmm. And that one factor <clears throat> alone will cut in half the divorce rate. That's a scientific statement I made, not a, a Catholic statement when I say that it'll cut in half the divorce rate. I can walk you through all the data and all the science behind the data of how profoundly that changes the spousal union. And we're finally getting some scientists that are willing to be countercultural and say, we need to look at this. This whole thing has fallen apart uh, since truly um, the birth control pill and the acceptance of that is just, quote, normal. And that's the first thing I say, and all I can tell you is when I prepared couples and I say that, I've had couples go back to pastors screaming about me mm. and then later come back and tell me it was the best thing they ever heard in their life. Mm. Um, you know so what's, it's the hardest you know thing what, to Steve? say, but it gets back. Mm. I, I think you Sorry, have to come ahead. back on the show 
and we can talk about that should be a topic eventually we need to talk about and i would i would love for yeah. you to come back and, and break that open because what i find many things i find fascinating about um your your journey of faith and the ministry that you have created with the grace of god is that the marriage between faith and science is is extraordinarily important particularly for young people oh yeah it's tremendously important and yeah, I would love to hear all of that data myself. And I think, I, I, you know what, Steve, this is Steve Lee, now that we have two Steves. So Steve, <laughs> we really should uh, work with Steve, the other Steve, to see when we can get together to talk about the, the, the rest of these topics. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds fantastic. I mean, I, this conversation, I love yeah, I could listen to this for, for a whole week. Um, but we are running out of time. We need to take one more break. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Bishop Caggiano has been speaking with Steve Bowman, founder and president of Paradisus Day. Uh, we're going to take a break and uh, answer a listener question when we come back. All right. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. We have come to the point of the show where we answer a listener question. Um, and so, Excellency, here it is. It's a little longer, but um, I think we need to read the whole thing. Dear Bishop, I was raised Christian Pentecostal, never baptized, and fell away from my faith about 15 years ago. The past two years, I felt the Lord working in my life strongly. When I pray about how to strengthen my faith, I feel drawn to Catholicism, but I don't know where to start and how to go about finding a church. I found your podcast and was wondering what you would suggest to help someone new learn about the faith and grow in it. Catholicism can be a little intimidating with all the rites and rituals for someone who has no background with it. Is there a catechism for adults? Well, first of all, to the person who submitted in the, the question, I am delighted that um, you are beginning to find a welcome um, here in our community, for which you are most welcome. And what the Lord, it seems to me, is doing is inviting you to a journey of discovery. First, discovering him in a deeper way. He's tugging at your heart. And to find that presence in the larger community all right, of, of our church. So to answer the question specifically, yes, there is a catechism for adults. The Conference of Catholic Bishops, it's available on their website right, uh, for purchase. And I think it's also an online version. So that's certainly a resource that you could purchase and kind of use, but I would actually suggest a different path. It is intimidating if you look at the church, its rituals, its history, and all that goes on, and could be quite confusing as well. And therefore, my suggestion would be that if you know of a Catholic, that um, you can sit and discuss this with, someone that you trust, someone who knows his or her faith, or a Catholic priest that you could approach, I think the best teacher is the witness, not the book. A person who can answer some of your initial questions and guide you further into the life of the church, right? To accompany you, literally, as Pope Francis says. Uh, and you do, you do it one step at a time. Because please God, if you make the decision to enter into the church, that's exactly what the RCIA is. It's a journey, an accompaniment, right? To grow in your relationship with the Lord and the community of believers. So the catechism exists for adults. And if there is someone who you could 
kind of sit and talk heart to heart about this or a priest that you could approach, I would recommend that also very strongly. But I will pray for you. I promise to pray for you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we, uh, hopefully all of our listeners uh, can, can pray for that listener who wrote the question. If you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. A big thank you to Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. I want to give a big thank you to Steve Bowman for being uh, here on the show with us today. Steve, thank you so much. Where can people go to find more information about Paradises Day? Sure, probably the easiest thing is spelling Paradises Day is hard for people. And so if you just type in thatmanisyou.org, that'll take you to our website. And then you can click onto the main website, Paradises Day, and you can find out about Missionaries of Family and What is Love and Choice Wine, as well as, of course, That Man Is You. And so that's the easiest thing, just go in and type in thatmanisyou.org. Excellency. Steve, I just wanted to add my voice to Steve Bowman. Thank you for your tremendous work. For, for sharing this hour, um, really just giving us so much to think about. And certainly I'm going, I, I keep praying for you, for the ministry, Father Towsley. I pray that we can bring it to Bridgeport, that it will grow in Bridgeport. Because as you say, um, we have made things a bit too complicated. And going back to the basics, the simple things, is where renewal really begins. And we're going to start with family life. So God bless you for your great work. Well, thank you, Bishop. Thank you for on the show today, and thank you for all you're doing in the diocese and for inviting us into the diocese. And I look forward to uh, seeing hopefully a lot of you in the next uh, few years. Amen. Amen. Right. <laughs> and before we go, Amen. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we have for the last hour been talking about family life, the great gift you give to us the seedbed of faith, of joy, of hope in the world. A place where love is born and sustained in times that are good, in times of great challenge. So we ask that you bless Steve Bowman and everyone at Paradisus Dei, bless their ministry, that it may bear great fruit. Bless our listeners and their families, that they may be strengthened. And we ask that for the balance of this day, that all that we do and all that we say may give you honor and glory. For we ask this as we ask all things, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve and Steve, the two Steves. Thank you both. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Bishop. 